0: Welcome. I'm Jessica Teigen, and this is the Evolving to Exceptional podcast, where we talk about reaching peak performance in our workplaces, homes, and communities so that we can live our best life possible, an exceptional life. Welcome back to the Evolving to Exceptional workplace. I'm Jessica Teejan, and we've got Meldina Alabasic here. We want to start with a quick apology for not releasing an episode last week. I got sick and completely lost my voice, which makes recording a podcast a little bit difficult.
1: Just a little so, bit.
0: Just, just a little <laughs> bit. So we've waited all week for my voice to come and work its way back. It is almost back you may still hear a little bit of a cough or some raspiness but we're going to do our best to record today's episode and today's episode is part of our evolving workplaces series on cultures full of fear and this is going to be talking about you know the challenges organizations have with fear in the workplace and how we need to move from cultures of fear to freedom And I can't help but observe what incredibly appropriate timing it is for an episode talking about fear in our workplaces, with this episode being released so close to the United States' July 4th Independence Day celebration. And just recently, there was a decision by the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade, which has created just a tremendous amount of fear in our society, especially for women. And the implications of this type of decision for workplaces and how they choose to respond and address this issue and others similar to it represent truly uncharted territory for businesses of how do businesses respond to and help people when they're experiencing fear from situations that occur both within and outside the workplace so that that fear does not impact them and their performance within the workplace. So what is it that we know about fear in workplaces? And truly, the problem is that fear is a fairly common method used by workplaces, either intentionally or unintentionally, to get results from their people. However, it's not the most effective culture for truly getting exceptional results and creating peak performance in their people. We know from Gallup's research and so much, so many statistics and, and, and results that if we really want to see exceptional results and high performance in the workplace, fear is not the best motivator. But historically, fear in workplaces has been used in really extreme ways. So if you think back to the cotton plantations' use of slaves or even um, Rome, the Roman Empire's use of slaves, to the factories that employed children, to immigrants working on the railroad, to workplace conditions that actually led to the creation of unions, fear has a pretty long history in the workplace the use of fear to motivate and to get people to act and work has has been used for a very long time and we'd like to think nowadays that we've moved beyond this type of workplace but the truth is for many people fear still exists Although it might be a little slightly better disguised, it is still triggered in people in most workplaces. When people experience fear, it actually creates a response. It, it creates a response in the body. And this response has a tremendous impact on people's performance and their health. We know now from neuroscience research that the use of fear as a motivator works, but is not the most effective way to generate results, nor is it healthy for people. It actually increases the stress response, which has significant negative impacts on people. Furthermore, fears can actually trigger trauma responses or cause trauma for the individuals experiencing fear, and that that creates a lasting impact that must be addressed or can cause the individual lasting and substantial harm. You can really see that there are there is a a pretty significant cultural history in the workplace of the use of fear, and that by doing so, we've actually created negative results and negative behaviors in our people.
1: Yeah, so it might seem to me that fear has always kind of been used historically in workplaces. But Jessica, like you mentioned, it wasn't that long ago that there were accusations floating around made by a group of former and current employees from the Ellen DeGeneres show that the workplace culture there had allegedly instilled fear in its people to prevent them from speaking out against those uh, negative behaviors and ensuring that they were doing their jobs effectively. So it's not something that has just happened historically, or that it never happens anymore. Um, even and it can even happen to these big well known or even famous businesses, that's kind of important to highlight there. What types of workplace behaviors create fear? You know, how do workplaces create or trigger those fears in their people?
0: Yeah, so I think you know your examples are good. I think we we've seen some recent examples in terms of um, having disrespectful workplaces, and uh, the the cases or the instances that have been in the news in the last few years around um, hostile environments, racial, sexual jokes, sexual harassment, discrimination, bullying. Um, although these these practices are actually outlawed, you know they're actually illegal uh, practices for businesses. We know from the Me Too movement. We know from what happened with Harvey Weinstein and what happened. There was a GM story a number of years ago of some discrimination and some racial hostility within those organizations that it still exists today, that there are still those problematic behaviors that really do create a lot of fear.
1: And I think another example that we might not often think about is the high stress environments that are created in workplaces too, where there's a breaking down from chronic stress, people are getting sick, both physically and mentally. So we've seen in recent years, a big push for those mental health days, right? For people to take the time that they need to make sure that mentally things are exactly how they're supposed to be, how they're feeling, not letting those high stress environments break down everything for that individual.
0: Well, and, and that high stress can come from both external factors. What 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 other things are keeping people stressed? Uh, but also really high expectations. Organizations that have extremely high expectations with no room for error or mistake, where people are afraid of getting fired, not being able to handle all the work that they're being given, feeling unsupported or unappreciated, that those really high expectations can actually create a fear every time that employee enters the workplace. So not only are they afraid of struggling you know, when they come to work, but also they're getting the effects of that high stress environment as well.
1: Absolutely. In a highly elite environment can also create that sense of fear. You know, if you think about being disliked by your boss or by other leaders in the organization, you know, where you feel like your opinion really doesn't matter or that the opinion of only a small select few matter, that can also lead to those negative behaviors as well.
0: Yeah, that fear that if you speak up or if you speak yeah. contrary to what the the leadership or those who, who have control or are in charge, think or believe that you will be ostracized in some way. And I think that also stems, you know, both from an elite, but also a political environment where you really have to always be paying attention to who's in power, you know, who you need to do favors for um, and struggling with if you don't, you know, you're not in the know, you don't have influence you can't get the resources that you need unless you have the political capital internally. That again, goes back to that high stress environment and that struggle to, to, uh, to figure out how to operate or who to talk to within the organization.
1: Absolutely. And a competitive environment is another example as well, where you fear maybe not having as much talent as your coworkers, that environment where you're fighting for resources or you're being passed over for a promotion, can kind of contribute to those same behaviors that we're seeing in these other environments as well.
0: Absolutely. When you're afraid that your coworker is out to get you, is is trying to make you look bad so they look good, that certainly creates fear, right? That they're going to take credit for something you did or that they're going to undermine your work so that you don't look as good as they do. That that creates a tremendous amount of fear. And then another example is, you know, what I like to, to call toxic accountability cultures where it, you're actually encouraging people to be overly accountable and you create this don't make waves culture. You know, everybody blend in. You don't want to be seen as a problem maker. You don't want to be seen as not being willing to solve problems or that you're too much drama or you're not accountable enough. And so you actually create toxic accountability where there's an expectation that no matter how people are treated or what happens, you're just supposed to take it. You're just supposed to deal with it, suck it up, you know, don't, don't argue with it. Don't have a different opinion and just live with it. And that really creates a culture of fear as well.
1: So now that we've kind of gone over some of those workplace behaviors that create that sense of fear, you know, why just could do workplaces use fear or create fear in their people? What's the point of that?
0: So, you know, I believe that fear is used to control and keep people from resisting or contradicting what they're being told to do, believe, think or feel. You know, when fear is used, it actually triggers a biological response within people that's not a choice. And that response is the fight, flight, or freeze response. So when businesses create these cultures of fear intentionally or unintentionally, I think in some cases they don't necessarily realize how their behaviors are creating fear in other people, but they're actually triggering this primitive biologic response in their people. And these cultures or fear are, are created when fear is the, the is used to motivate or control people's behavior, choices, and actions in the workplace. So they're actually using, you know, you do this or you'll be fired. You need to get along with everybody or you'll be fired. You need to to do what I'm telling you to do or to to go along with what I'm saying or you're not going to get a promotion. And that that then is the the method of getting people to act in the ways that they would like them to to act. And these cultures of fear are not necessarily created intentionally, but they may be the results of actions chosen by leadership or just the inherent culture of the organization. If leaders are not aware of how much their choices and behaviors can trigger fear in individuals or the culture, then those situations are much more likely to occur. So if you're not aware because you've, you know, grown up in this environment that what you're doing is triggering fear in others, you may be perpetuating a culture that you don't even know is is taking place. And historically, many workplaces have had these cultures that include these behaviors that often trigger fear in the workplace so leaders themselves most leaders today were developed in workplaces where these fears are commonplace and they may not even see that 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 they are having a negative impact due to their own lack of experience with anything different. If you haven't been in a different type of culture, you may believe that that's just the business environment or that's just the business culture and not even see it as a problem. And that may be the normal experience for leaders rather than something to actually be avoided.
1: Absolutely. I think what's important to highlight here, Duska, that you mentioned is when we say a culture of fear that sounds so negative, it sounds like why would anybody want to create that or have that in a workplace? But what you highlighted there is that it doesn't it doesn't intentionally happen sometimes. It's the things that that leaders are doing every single day that the people are role modeling after that creates that that culture that has so many negative impacts so, you know, why, what are some examples of fear in the workplace? What does that look like? Yeah. So we talked about
0: the things that can lead to fear. These are some of the fears. I want to talk through some of the fears that then people experience or that get triggered. So the, the biggest one, I think this is something so many people struggle with is fear of failure when there's a risk that failure could result in, you know, at the worst termination or a negative impact to a person's reputation or compensation, that creates a significant negative reaction. People people become afraid to take risks, afraid to take on new challenges because they know if they fail, the consequences are so severe. Another example is fear of rejection. So this, this ties to being passed up for a promotion, you know, that you would be, you know, you're going to be rejected for something about you, um, or that you're going to have your opinion or idea dismissed or disregarded altogether. So when we don't allow people to express their perspective, when we don't allow them opportunities to apply for jobs that are open, or positions that they could potentially be moved into and talk about why they're not or what is going into that decision. Then we can trigger their, their fear of rejection.
1: Absolutely. And another common example is that fear of isolation or feeling like you don't belong. So that can look like being left out, not feeling like you're part of the team. You get left out of social events at work or at phone calls or important meetings Um, and even just informal conversations. You know, those conversations that happen at the water cooler. Where you feel like you're kind of on your own and you're on in this isolated island and everyone else is getting along great, that can trigger some negative emotions for people.
0: Yeah, and and, and actually fear of not belonging is is you know so highly correlated to inclusive environments. Mm-hmm. And so when we when we create these these elitist or clicky type of organizations where individuals you know, struggle with, you know, not being invited, not being included, not having opportunities or are feeling like they are part of the team, you know, the fear that can stem back to from experiences people have had in the past can be pretty intense and pretty extreme for people having lasting impacts another example of fear that comes up all the time is fear of change, you know, not knowing what the outcome or the results are going to be, you know, the being afraid of the unknown or how things may be impacted. So when organizations are not communicating regularly, when um, they blindside people a lot, when they, you know, keep things semi-confidential, you know, is a term I've used where some people know things, but not everybody knows things. And so then there, it creates this fear of, well, how come I don't? Is something happening. And, you know, then you really trigger this fear of change that changes bad, you know, not that change is something that just happens and we communicate about it, but that, you know, change is something that means something bad is going to happen.
1: This is one that I think resonates with me the most out of all the the examples of fear, because I'm I'm such a type A perfectionist. That's my, that's been my nature since I was little. So being And not in the know and not knowing how things are going to turn out or having any idea has really, has really had a negative impact on me in different organizations that I've worked with. So this is one that definitely resonates with me and I can experience. Well, and
0: I, I think, you know, what, what it just reminded me of with, with fear of change was, um, when we went through the ransomware attack, um, you know, a year ago at our, our former organization, and there was a lot of fear of what that meant. And that fear, you know, a lack of communication multiplies that fear. People don't know. They don't know what's happening. They don't know where things are. But when you're really transparent and clear, it allows some of that fear to dissipate or some of that fear to, to not, um, take as deep or become as deeply rooted.
1: Absolutely. And another example is a fear of conflict or confrontation. So when you think about this, it's it's talking about addressing a disagreement with a coworker or a manager in, in a meeting or outside of a meeting just to avoid those negative feelings or dealing with things head on. Um, this can be very difficult for people uh, because of their nature, because of how um their lack of assertiveness or wanting to kind of keep the peace not stir the pot not want to be seen as that problematic individual so they've got that innate fear of bringing up issues anything that's going to kind of ruffle anyone's feathers they like to keep kind of swept under the rug
0: and that really you can see how that stems from that toxic accountability culture where that creates you know a fear to actually address issues because you'll be seen as difficult or dramatic or blaming or or something that, that is negative. And then that leads to the fear of retaliation, that you're afraid of experiencing the negative consequences of you know speaking up or of addressing issues. And that might be being passed up for a promotion, being excluded. There might be other punishments for reporting or bringing up an issue, you know, that negatively impacts the workplace. Retaliation is actually falls within sexual harassment as a uh, as a protected activity that you that if you report uh, an issue of sexual harassment or discrimination, that, you know, technically retaliation is offense all on its own and often even the bigger offense that when people raise very real issues they become af- afraid of will i be retaliated against and you know i know from even my personal experience of having points in my career where i was afraid to share um you know who told me something or um how i came about information for fear that that person might be negatively impacted or retaliated against and so i think um it's it it's something that comes up and it's something that um really makes people afraid to to be themselves and to to speak up when things are going wrong
1: i I totally agree I think that's a very common very real fear that people have in the workplace along with the fear of embarrassment right so being made fun of or not being good enough for for a role or part of the team, you know, feeling ostracized. Those are really common uh, fears that people have in the workplace.
0: Well, and it's so interesting because we want the workplace to be fun, but not at someone's expense. And oftentimes we can create these like sarcastic, joking cultures that we think are enjoyable But for some people, it's incredibly painful and they attend events afraid of who's going to embarrass them and how, you know, how are they going to make them not look good or, you know, make them look look silly or make them look absurd and in a way that's like hurtful and harmful and and embarrassment's one thing, but it can even lead to a fear of of shame that that it would lead to others actually shaming them for their behaviors or their choices or things that that they've done.
1: Absolutely. That's why I think it's so important to get to know people and the type of sense of humor that they enjoy so that you don't create that culture where you don't, do those things unintentionally, right? Because I think a lot of people don't intentionally want to make people feel embarrassed, but through their sense of humor, through the things that they say, it can be negatively interpreted that way by that individual. So it's important to build those connections so that you can get to learn, you know, what everyone likes, what type of personalities mesh well and things like that. Jessica, how do people typically respond to these fears in the workplace?
0: Yeah, so we know from neuroscience that people experience fear as an emotion and An emotion is a little bit different than a feeling. An emotion happens automatically. We don't, we can choose how we feel, but we can't choose the emotional response that happens within our bodies, within our biological responses. So people experience fear as an emotion with their heart intelligence, with their heart brain. And based upon their perceptions of their situation and, and combined with their past experiences, they will feel the emotion of fear. This emotion's not a choice. It's just a natural reaction to their situation, and then that heart intelligence sends a message to the gut intelligence, to our gut brain. And and as mentioned, the biological response to fear is fight, flight or freeze. And fear is often a gut instinct based response. So you've likely heard people say things like, my gut told me something wasn't right, or I had a gut instinct not to do something. Um, I even remember there were stories from 9 11 of people saying that that day they just had a gut instinct to do something different that caused them not to be in the, in the twin towers that day. But these, and these references are not actually by accident. Our gut instinct, the neurons that are located in our gut, the, the gut brain, if you will, are responsible for self-preservation or safety and mobilization or action. So as a result, when we experience the emotion of fear in our hearts, where our emotional intelligence is located, it sends that signal to our gut. And then our gut intelligence chooses how we respond. So our gut is evaluating what is needed in order to survive. What is the best way to preserve ourselves? And then based upon the gut's decision, it decides what action or inaction to take. So that's where the fight, flight, or freeze comes in. Our gut can either tell us to run away to, to fight whatever we're facing, whatever is, is threatening our, our survival or to freeze. And when our gut instinct is triggered with fear, those instincts take over and decide which of those options has the greatest likelihood of protecting us. And our head brains actually don't choose Whether we respond with fight, fight, or freeze, we do it instinctually. We do it automatically. So it's why in certain traumatic incidents, people freeze and they aren't sure why they didn't fight or run away. Um, You might this example of this might be um, oftentimes, and they they really work hard. We have to teach our kids a lot that of what to do in the event of a fire, because oftentimes children will freeze. And we'll try to hide, um, or we'll be immobilized rather than being able to run out of a burning house or a burning, uh, building. And so what happens when, when this occurs is that our, we don't actually get a choice with our, with our brains, with our minds of how we respond. Our bodies choose for us based upon instincts. Our, our head brains had no choice, which means we can't convince people. That the fear that they're experiencing is not real or that they should choose a different response. People are going to react to these circumstances based upon their pre-programmed experiences and what their gut instinct tells them is the best way to respond. And this is, this highlights why culture and the environment in which people are working is so critical because even if you tell people it's safe, It's safe to report an instance of sexual harassment. It's safe to address an issue of discrimination. It's safe to address if you feel not included or if you have a contradictory opinion. If what they've experienced is the opposite, is contradictory to what you're saying, they're still going to react based upon their gut instinct. They're still going to react based upon their longer term experience with that culture, with that environment.
1: I've got kind of a, a, a silly but a real example for me and how I respond to, to a fear of mine. And so I spend a lot of time outdoors now that the weather is so beautiful. And naturally, there's a lot of bugs around and flying everywhere, especially bees, which I absolutely hate and fear. Uh, so now that I'm I'm that person that when you see a a, bu- a big bug flying towards me, I'm the one that's flailing my arms around. I'm the one screaming, running away from them because my instinct is to run as fast as I can away from them. My instinct is to to take flight, to get far away from them. And I don't even have to think about it. My body just instantly does it. That reaction is so quick and instant that I don't see that bug come towards me. And then I stop and say, well, what should I do now? I've got three options. What's the best option? My body is just like... No, you've got to run. This bug is coming towards you. You're afraid of it. Run as fast as you can. And it's crazy just how quickly those signals are firing off and you don't even realize that it's happening.
0: Absolutely. It it is literally a, a biological response. And it and it's so interesting now that we have the neuroscience that tells us that there are neurons in our gut and, and in our hearts that are making that decision and that our brains are not at play when that's occurring. And so when people freeze, there's lots of examples where people really struggle with the fact that they froze in response to a traumatic incident or something that was occurring, but they can't be blamed because it wasn't a conscious choice. It was, it was part of their body's pre-programmed response.
1: So what do, what are some examples of how these responses look or play out in the workplace?
0: Yeah. So let's talk about how these manifest in the workplace. And I think, you know, I actually think the most common is, is freeze. So I'm going to start with fight and flight, and then we'll talk about freeze last. So the first is fight. one way that people respond when they face fear is to fight, so this might be being resistant or even combative in response to what they 're experiencing so these are the situations where an employee feels outraged, they might get loud um, they might get uh, they might be really persistent, they might always be expressing their opinions, responding to to different situations. These individuals, you know, oftentimes workplaces may categorize these individuals as intense, difficult, challenging, dramatic, not collaborative, problematic, negative, cultural misalignment, not accountable, an instigator. Those are all real terms that I, I've i heard used, you know, as, as people do evaluations for people because often people are triggered in this way and in this fight response. And these individuals will often, you know, try to point out workplace issues or challenges and address them. And if the workplace isn't open to change or understanding other perspectives, then they'll quickly be silenced, terminated, or they're going to choose to leave. So oftentimes people who respond with fight, at least initially, either they don't last long in the workplace, um, especially workplaces that have a, a deeply entrenched culture of fear, or... Um, they learn quickly uh, you know to, to re to respond differently. They have to they're, they're, they have to actually retrain themselves to not fight in response to things that are um, problematic or issues are or, or triggering that fear inside of them.
1: So I don't know about you, Jessica, but whenever I hear about a framework or I try to remember what those different types of responses are, I like to relate them to something that I know from from the past or I love. So for the viewers that have watched the Office series, right, I'm I'm guilty of watching it probably 10 times from start to finish. Um, If you think of these typical responses to fear as different characters on the show, it might help you remember those and think about them the next time you have that response. So when we're talking about that fight response, that always makes me think of Dwight's character um, because he's seen as such a combative, that intense, that dramatic individual within the, the Dunder Mifflin office. And he can be seen as that problematic person in the office because he's always raising issues up whenever things come up. That's his kind of instinct when it comes to facing anything that makes him uncomfortable or he's afraid of. He just goes right into that fight mode.
0: Oh, I love that. I love having that kind of like analogy of of what it looks like. I think that's great. Um so the next example is flight. So that's another way people respond is that they run away. They recognize the situations unhealthy and so they choose to just leave rather than operate in an environment of fear. So in th- in this case, you know, people might opt out. They might opt out of certain um, you know, company events or, you know, not eat lunch with other employees. They may disconnect in order to avoid situations that will trigger that res- uh, response. Um, And similarly, individuals that choose this response will actually leave the organization fairly quickly to look for one that doesn't have the same challenge. If they're really triggered, if it's really painful, um, you know, if they're really triggering these fears on a consistent basis, these are people that leave pretty quickly. Um, So, you know, for example, if many young women only last a few years in a particular organization, on a particular team, it's likely that there's some sort of cultural problem causing them fear that's making them leave rather than go through the pain of staying and fighting against that culture. So you got to look kind of for those patterns like, why can't we retain? What is happening? Because they may not say anything. They may stay silent and just choose to opt out or to leave or to move away from rather than go into conflict and, and face the consequences of those actions.
1: Absolutely. So for my the office fans out there, when I hear a flight, I always think about that group of employees who immediately quit Dunder Mifflin after the merger took place because they saw how Michael Scott was treating all of his employees in the evi- in that environment in the branch. They packed up their bags and just left. They weren't even going to try to deal with it because that environment was so negative on them
0: another great example. So the last one I think is actually the one that happens the most in organizations and and can be the most toxic because it ends up keeping the culture intact. It ends up in you know probably the worst outcomes for for the people that are affected and for entrenching the organization in that culture. So when people are are afraid, when they experience fear and they stop responding, they actually slow down their behavior in order to survive. They do whatever they need to do to just get through, and so that might actually be the most common response to cultures of fear because it allows individuals. To to just keep existing, to keep getting paid, not go through the pain of fighting or leaving, but to just kind of go into a, I'm just not going to do anything. I'm just going to stay steady. And we see this a lot when people are sexually harassed or discriminated against, or face hostile comments or behavior in the workplace. Their first response might be to freeze. Their first response might be to just get through that interaction or to just tough it out, rather than actually stand up for themselves, reject the behavior, or run away. Um, so they may just go silent and unintentionally accept in the moment the behavior that they're facing. So when you've got employees that are you know, joking around a lot, sarcastic, making hurtful comments potentially, and other employees aren't saying anything, so you assume it must be okay, it may be that actually they're in a freeze response, that it is causing them significant harm and it's a, it's a real challenge, but that they are literally paralyzed from actually taking action in response to the situation they're experiencing
1: absolutely those are what I like to call the Tobys of the world um, in the office. that freeze response instantly makes me think of him because he just kind of sat there and for the entire duration of the series just kind of dealt with all the negativity that Michael was throwing at him and the insult and the negative comments and just like that toxic work environment he still chose to stay and and just continued to do his job getting paid for it and never really, got up and left. At at some point, I think he did, but then ended up coming back. But he didn't really do anything against that. The things that were happening to him, he didn't speak up, he just kind of let it happen. And so you see that throughout the entire show is that freeze response from Toby. Um, I think that's a that's a great example there.
0: What do you think the problem with these responses um, are for the workplace? You know, with this fight, flight or freeze? What do you see as some of the problems?
1: well with that fight response it it's usually that people are creating challenges they're standing up to issues so it's kind of distracting them from executing the business so that tends to be a problem with that response in the workplace Um, another one for the flight response is that, you know, when, when people are leaving at high, high turnover rates, that's, you're struggling to keep people trained in, in the roles and then real issues might get ignored or hidden from those who could potentially take action when issues get brought up or they don't because someone just decides to leave the the organization as a response. And then when when you have a lot of employees who are just giving that freeze response in in response to fear, you get a lot of disengagement, you get employees who are executing in a culture of fear and, and are not performing at their best, and those people may May be unable to address serious integrity or ethical issues in the workplace that are perpetuating that cultural issue. So, when nobody's speaking up, when nobody's saying anything, people kind of just start to pull themselves back, and that's when they get into that level of disengagement and are just kind of they're they're just going on about their day, but they're not really those engaged, committed employees that you really want in the workplace that are going to give you those those great performance results.
0: Yeah. And to kind of maybe bring in the neuroscience of it, when we're activated with fear, our bodies go into our sympathetic nervous system, which means we're operating. That's that fight, flight, our freeze response, which means we're operating in a heightened stress state while we're in our workplaces. So individuals might literally be spending their entire work days in this mode of operating, creating just tremendous stress on their body and an emotional toll on the individual. And operating in this state may actually initially enhance performance because it creates that higher level of adrenaline and stress to achieve results. But over the long term, it's going to actually erode their performance and their the quality and the results. And individuals cannot attain their highest level of performance. They cannot operate at peak performance when they're in a constant state of fear and when their sympathetic nervous system stays dominant or is triggered continuously by the culture. So truly the way that people Operate at their best is incoherence when they're moving in and out of sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems. That's what creates balance. That's what we call the flow state, where you get a lot done, you lose track of time. And that is what is ultimately creating exceptional results in performance in people and in businesses. So, these businesses with fear based cultures that are entrenched in their organizations may actually achieve good results at the expense of their people. So they are getting results out of their people, but they're burning through them. When instead, they could be getting great results to the benefit of their people. They could be creating an environment where people are not having to be in that sympathetic nervous system constantly in that fight, flight, freeze mode you know, dealing with all of those fears and instead be focused on how they're optimizing their performance and ger- generating much better results, which is both healthier for the individual and better for the workplace.
1: You know, what this reminds me of is that model around stress and performance in general. And and we see that kind of bell-shaped curve where if there's too little stress um, and, and Employees are feeling underloaded. Uh, we won't really see that exceptional performance or the results that we're talking about. But on the flip side of that, if there's too much stress or there's burnout, then we won't see that great performance either. So it's really about that fluctuation of moderate levels of stress that are going to result in the best performance of our people. So, like you talk about, Jessica, floating out, in and out of the the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous systems is kind of that sweet spot. You don't want to be in either of them for too long. Otherwise, you're not going to achieve those those great results.
0: Exactly.
1: So Jessica, how do fears in society impact the workplace? How do those external factors also impact the workplace?
0: Yeah, I, I wanted to kind of conclude this episode on this topic because if these are the things that are happening in the workplace, then when we couple or or layer on top the environment in which people are living when they're outside of the workplace or the environment that the workplace actually exists within because the two are not actually separate, right? Workplaces exist within communities in the broader world. And, And we live in an environment today where there are many fears in response to the current environment. In the last few years alone, we've been through a global pandemic that killed millions of people. We've experienced in the United States an attempted coup of our government. We've watched the tragic war between the Ukraine and Russia with the fear of impending potential world war. Scientists have been warning about the effects of global warming, that, that those effects may soon not be reversible. The economy is dealing with incredibly high inflation and there's tremendous fear of another recession. There's been a marked increase in mass shootings, especially in our schools, which as a mother, you know, creates a ton of fear. And the Supreme Court has shifted its approach and rulings in significant and impactful ways, most recently impacting women's rights. Collectively, these societal events are having a tremendous impact on people and the level of fear they feel both in and outside the workplace. This fear is then compounded when they also experience a heightened level of fear in their workplace. As a result, their nervous systems never get a break from the fight, flight, freeze response, and that is having tremendous health consequences. We can see it all over the place. We see it in the increases in autoimmune disorders. There are more allergies than ever before in children. There are increasing rates in almost all different diseases. People have more issues with weight control and overall health management. It is this incredibly high level of stress. This stress that we know is a huge contributor to so many different diseases in the body is is, is, is exacerbated by this level of fear and uh, that is creating these high levels of stress and then creating these, these negative consequences for people and, and people's health. So as a result, workplaces are really facing an even bigger and new challenge of how do they help people navigate the stress and fears that they're experiencing in the world outside the workplace. So even if your culture is not a fear-based culture in which case, that's amazing. I wish I worked there. Um, Even if it isn't that, your people are still experiencing so much fear in response to the world, so much that they're having to deal with. So not only do workplaces need to remedy their fear-based culture within, but they also must help people navigate the fear and stress that exists in the broader culture environment. So in today's world, Now more than ever, we can't ignore what happens when people are outside of the workplace, what is happening in the broader context of the world, and how what is happening is impacting the performance and and the effects on our people within the workplace. And I think that this represents both an, an opportunity and an incredible shift for workplaces to have to evolve into delivering for their employees and supporting their employees in ways that they never have before, in ways that help them to navigate these incredibly challenging times and experiences more effectively so that they can create environments where people actually can thrive in their workplaces and achieve the results that they want them to achieve. So as we wrap up this episode, I want you to leave with this, this action. If you're, if you're a workplace, I want you to leave thinking that by transforming cultures to reduce and even eliminate fear is, it is essential to helping people perform at their best and create greater business outcomes. We absolutely have to transform cultures to reduce the fear so that people can perform at their best and then we create the greater business results and outcomes for our world. So I so appreciate all of you for listening in today. I do want to comment on our Evolving Workplaces webinars. We have decided not to do those over the summer and to move those to the fall. Uh, So we will continue to do these episodes and then you will get more information soon about our Evolving Workplaces mastermind and webinars in the fall that will address these topics even further and highlight some really great strategies of things that you can do to, to move from these cold cultures of fear to cultures of freedom. So on this 4th of July week, I wish you a happy Independence Day and I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day. Remember, always keep evolving.